0: RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Okay, Thursday morning means money talk and Farzan Irani is back with us after taking a break uh, last week to help us join the Money Dots. Farzan, great to have you back. Hope you're well. Yes, I'm keeping well. I think I enjoyed the break uh, and it's great to be back. Okay, so boy, where do we start? Um, let's have a look at some of the um, economic stories that came to our attention in the last day or so in anticipation of our chat. Um, I don't know what's happening here, but it's probably similar. But I notice in the UK now, London tenants are paying out 35% of income on rent alone, 35%. Now, wasn't it always the thing that, that you wouldn't expect to pay more than a quarter of your income for your housing costs? I don't know if that is the rule of thumb. But they're well past that. So do you think that's the same kind of here as well? We're getting up into that sort of figure of 35% of income on rent, um, not to mention mortgages?
1: Yeah, I think so. Absolutely, Paul. Um, In fact, uh, in this article, the way they've calculated this is funny because you said 30 or 35%. Um, on $100 you earn, there's always a saying, the tax man, the government first puts their hand in your pocket first yeah. and takes the first one-third. Uh, the remaining one-third was supposed to be on rent and food and basics. And supposedly, the remaining one-third is yours to keep or see discretionary spending, so to speak. Um, but the world we're living in now, obviously, the government still puts their hand in your pocket first. Yeah. Um and doesn't then, change. No, it doesn't. Uh, they say uh, sunrises and taxes are given in life. Um, unfortunately, uh, the second part is unfortunate. The sunrise is a good thing. So, coming back to the, this conversation, so London tenants pay out about 35% of their income and rent. What it doesn't highlight, as I've told people several times, read the whole article. Obviously, people aren't reading what we're reading, but. The way they've also calculated this is on gross income. So it's not after tax, it's oh, it's on okay. gross income. So yep. the whole point is, as I mentioned, the tax man takes one third. What this is saying is whatever's left over, um, then they let's say you're spending 35% of your income on rent, what's left over? Food is that expensive, utilities are that expensive. How are people supposed to survive? And this is going to hit the pockets of the poorest people The most, right? Because they have less discretionary income and they cannot, they're not in a position to negotiate their pay uh, with the employers uh, uh, upwards that significantly. And that's why you're seeing strikes around the world as well in the public sectors and spaces like that. But it's, uh, yeah, it will be the same case in countries like New Zealand, Australia, Canada, because as we mentioned, the common sense thing is you've got debt, the price of money, and the interest rate on that is going up. There is no alternative. Mind you, this article talks about rent, right? So there's a big difference, but the whole point is if the landlord's feeling the pressure, obviously it's going to transpire into rents, higher rents as well, because they've got to cover their cost uh, from what's happening in the banking sector and the economy.
0: But there's only so far you can raise your rent before it becomes, what, non-competitive then people just can't afford it at some point. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but everyone needs a house to live, Paul. Um, and and there's growing demand, right? If what, what you got to think is, there's one of two things. Everyone needs a house. You're either going to buy it and pay a mortgage to a bank, or you're going to have to rent. And the whole point is with interest rates, as we've just discussed over so many several weeks, with interest rates that high, even though the house prices have come down a little bit, if I can't serve as a debt, The bank ain't going to give me a mortgage to buy that property. It doesn't matter if I think I can service it. If I was paying 500 in rent and my mortgage payment is 600, I want to do that because I think I want to own the house. Well, quote unquote, own the house. Yeah, if you live long enough. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And um, if the next year or two doesn't throw a spanner in the works. Right. Um, right. But the whole point is then I have to rent and the landlords know that. So the whole point is there's more demand And if I'm a landlord, and I know there's so many people who want the property to live in, I can drive up the rents as well. Not only because my costs have gone up, because there's demand as well. Because these younger people who are aspiring homeowners now just can't become a homeowner. Again, quote unquote, homeowner. Um, But they can't get a mortgage. They can't buy a house. They can't get on the property ladder. So they have no option but to rent. So it's simple demand and supply. So the rents go up. Uh, And the landlord has to cover his costs as well.
0: Yeah. um, One of the points out of that story is that um, um, the regular ONS, and I'd have to look up to see what ONS stood for, but they say here, a regular ONS survey found that 43% of respondents found it difficult to afford rent or mortgage payments, and that's up from 30% in the previous year. So 13% increase in one year, people finding it difficult to afford rent or mortgage payments. At, At some point, that becomes... Okay, it's an affordability issue, but potentially becomes a social issue too, causing, I don't know, some some kind of unrest at some point, I'm thinking? Yes, that's correct.
1: And unrest is coming globally, um, because when the average person can't uh, afford to have a roof over his head, he's not going to be happy. But we've also talked about these things, is some of these underlying factors are when People will then cry out to the government, and the government will say, Okay, okay, let us help you. And they will put price controls and capital controls and all that stuff in place, which is not what we want because that's what happens in uh, communist and socialistic uh, countries. And uh, I think a couple of weeks back, sorry, I've been away for a couple of weeks, but I think you'd mentioned that um, during election time, there were these finance ministers talking that the government should interfere in the small business sector. And I said, no, because that's exactly what the government wants. The government wants to say, well, ask us for help and we'll come in and help you. So these are underlying factors um, where it's going to get ridiculous. And then the government will then come in and meddle in. Uh, which is not good for landlords. And yeah, it just has ripple effects right, everywhere. But the whole underlying factor to all of this is, as I said, the interest rate cycle has turned. It played out for 40, 45 years. We're not going back to what quote unquote normal. Uh, interest rates are only going to keep going higher. So this this, this thing is only going to get worse. And we've talked about a snowball effect. There's more and more people who won't be able to afford uh, rent, basic
0: necessities, uh, yeah, I look good at that. Wow. Okay. <clears throat> Let's move on to the ratings agency, Fitch. And um, they are saying that um, wider external deficits, weaker growth means New Zealand's fiscal space has narrowed significantly. What does that actually mean? <laughs> fiscal space is narrowed. Um, fiscal. So there's, there's two kinds of policies. There's
1: fiscal policy and monetary policy. Uh, first covering the monetary policy is what the Reserve Bank does, uh, tweaking the interest rates up and down for maximum unemployment. And fiscal policy is what the government does. So whether it uh, issues more debt or how it spends money in the economy or debt in the economy. So fiscal policy is related to the government, monetary policy is related to the Reserve Bank, and they differentiate those two just to, again, have the perception that they're two different things, right? Um, There are overlaps in there. So what they're just trying to say is, obviously, we knew this. We talked about this during election times and stuff as well. Uh, the preview or whatever that thing was called, the pre-election update, we knew yep. it was going to be worse than the government had told us. Obviously, now they're saying it's 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 a lot worse than we thought it was. Hey, now it's a new uh, government's problem. Uh, obviously, Fitch had kept our rating at AA+, but this is Fitch's own report that has come out and said, listen, we've given you a stable outlook AA+. But we think the incoming government's going to have to uh, monitor this closely. So we've talked about this, right? And the hope on is it's just a, a government is just like a household income expenses. And if your outgoing is more than your incoming, you have to borrow. People who earn 100 bucks but spend $120 have to go to a bank and ask for a credit card or a loan to buy something. And they're just deferring the inevitable. So the government's doing the same thing. When it has a shortfall, it has to go
0: borrow from either the Reserve Bank or overseas lenders. So um, this new government, um, substantially um, National Party Act, but New Zealand First, it seems, with some sort of role in there. They well, They only have a couple of options. They could go out and borrow a whole lot more money, but that where does that get you long term? Or they're going to have to rein in the spending. And it seems to me... Um, that um, there's a lot of spending that needs to be reined in, so um, okay, they're talking about uh the fiscal space, Fitch. There, how much room is there to, to maneuver, and how much time have they got in your assessment? How much do they have to either borrow or trim off the spending? And yeah, uh, uh, which one do you think they'll choose? Well, they're just going to keep borrowing more, mate. Okay. Um... <laughs>
1: Bill, yeah. they'll, they'll, elections have just finished, the new government possibly comes in and says, oh, look, we're going to try and trim this back and blame it all on labor. Uh, but I think uh, even before the new government's been announced, I think um, I heard I saw a short clip yesterday, Christopher Luxon saying, oh, we're the party that's going to spend on infrastructure, and it's been on pause and all of that. I would like a reporter just to ask him, where's the money going to come from. So he's essentially kind of said, oh, we might have to borrow, we look at private funding, <laughs> whether the government borrows it and spends on infrastructure projects or whether you have a private equity firm or a BlackRock come and fund some of these projects. and then, Which means
0: they'll own some of it, right? Well,
1: they'll own all of it because there's, yeah. there's tolls and this and that and all that kind of stuff. So this is what governments do. They either borrow and they spend it themselves or they will get a private equity firm or something like that to come and spend on it which means our
0: earnings do not stay in our country regardless. Yeah, so why why do anything? Why not just don't spend? rein it in and and sort of hang tight for, a, well, I suppose it would be a few years, and that's pretty well the whole election cycle, isn't it? So you, you're probably not going to get re-elected if you're that brutal.
1: No, and it's also might um, see as I said, it's two sides of the same coin. So one party has to come in and say, because this wasn't done, now we have to do all of this. Uh, some people might say Labour wasted a lot of money on social policies and all that kind of stuff. So now because the it's the other side, uh, other shoe on the foot, they'll come in and say, at least we're doing infrastructure spending because we're spending in the economy, which means uh, we can earn more. It's going to be more productive. Which in an essence, is right because uh it's 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 all about productivity. A person's time is measured in money, so to speak. So if I have to drive or be stuck in traffic for an hour and a half each way to the office, maybe I'm being productive in the office for eight hours, but I've wasted three hours either side or one and a half I either side sitting in traffic, which is counted as productivity or lost productivity. So, Governments will try and justify infrastructure projects, which I don't think is a bad thing, but the question is who's paying for it? And today's environment when the interest rates are so high, it just means somebody else is creating, let's say a private equity firm or a Blackrock or whoever that is is lending money to our government to spend in the economy at really high interest rates, which means the government then has to tax us or borrow more just to pay that back. So just think about those things. It was great when they were borrowing at one, two, three percent. The interest rates are 5 5.5% five now for government bonds, and it's only going higher. In fact, I've mentioned so many times we have a bond crisis on our hands. Um, so that's played out in several
0: ways geopolitically also. Yeah. Uh, what would happen if, if you know, the, the checkbook was totally closed for a while? What, what, what would actually happen? Well, we'd have to live within our means, and Ooh. the government will then have to
1: either look at taxing us more or cut social projects and handouts, right? And that is the thing. As I said, Western democracies have promised stuff, have made promises they cannot keep. Um, it was great for 40 years when interest rates were going down. So they made more and more promises just to buy votes. And that is it. It's, it's a popularity contrast. Look, I can give you $5. The other guy goes, I can give you $7. The other guy goes, I'll bid you up more and I'll give you $10. It's a bidding war with borrowed money. Uh, for now, when interest rates were lower, uh, it's not going to be possible moving forward with interest rates going higher. And that's why all of this is now coming out, because the interest rate cycle has turned. And that's why everyone's talking about fiscal deficits and all of that. As I said, a fiscal deficit just means the government's earning 100 bucks and spending 130 bucks into the economy, which they do not have. So they have to borrow 30 just to make it look like they're doing the right thing, which technically they're not. They're doing the wrong thing. Um, so they're putting the burden on future taxpayers. Uh, That is if they increase taxes. But as I mentioned,
0: by 2026, most governments will default on their debt. 2026, okay, within three years. All right. I want to get on to talking about wars in just a moment because that inevitably must have some effect on the global economy. So we'll talk about that in a moment. I remember a few programs ago, uh, we were talking about um, the value of commercial property. And I think we're talking about office buildings and stuff then. But I'm wondering if there's been any significant examples, I I, I guess, in Western economies, where you're starting to see a tumbling of value in uh, that sort of uh, property.
1: Yeah, as I mentioned, mate, uh, I think i two or three weeks back, firstly, we mentioned that 3 billion mark that was passed off in New Zealand, and they made it sound like it was a commercial segment in New Zealand that was taking most of the hit, not the residential. Yeah, It's good we're visiting this back because Goldman Sachs just uh, last week, um, which is a big investment bank in the US, they've just written down their office buildings by about 50% on their books, So they themselves have taken a haircut, 50% okay on office buildings. five zero 50 uh, yeah five zero 50 percent on oh, office okay. buildings and on all other commercial real estate they've written it down themselves by 15 percent one five so office buildings are suffering uh, tremendously as I mentioned but I so that is this Goldman Sachs one of the biggest investment banks in the world themselves voluntarily writing down the value on their own balance sheet now an example I wanted to give you again, which you've done a few times before, but there was a San Francisco office tower. It sells at 66% of its uh, pre-COVID uh, claims. So I just want to talk people through this example. Um, it's, it's an office building, which is now roughly, it says 66, so it's roughly about 70% less than this previous estimated value, right? This building was... Uh, just give me one second, I'll open the actual uh, tweet and the article. So it's a 754 unit apartment complex. Now that was valued in 2018 for 543.6 million. Let's just say 544 million in 2018 before COVID. And now it is worth 279 million. Well, that's a haircut. Yeah, absolutely. So Think about this. In 2018, the building was worth 544 million. The bank lent against it 384 million. So you would think that's a really good ratio percentage, right? Yeah. The bank's not taking much of a risk. This is not Goldman Sachs, but I'm just giving you an example. And what has happened was the building is now worth $279 million. So the loan was $384. Now the building itself is worth less. <laughs> than the bloody loan. By significant Almost, margin. Yeah, yeah, $95 million or $100 million, right? So what do <laughs> the owners do? They will hand in the keys. They will say, thank you very much. I'm walking away from all of this. And when we think about, as you mentioned, because um, office buildings we said and stuff like that, this is an apartment complex and it actually has a 92% occupancy rate. In spite of that, the value taken a hit. So... I don't want people to think, oh, the building's full, so it will not take a hit. It is going to take a hit because people need to realize it's the price of money, the price of credit, as that keeps going up. The person who's taken the loan cannot service the debt on an ongoing basis. Because in America, these loans were 2 3%, and now they're at 8%. Even a couple of weeks back, we talked about a lag effect. It's okay because if you're fixed for two or three years and there's interest rates, you were seen that you were making mortgage payments. That's great. What's happened now is as they roll over, or the banks are actually. I was listening to this one uh, podcast in America <laughs> doing a deep dive, sorry, on the banks. And he was talking the banks are voluntarily calling their commercial clients, the big uh, commercial real estate uh, companies. And they're saying you need to come and start making a 10 or 20% down payment. So, even if you were still making your mortgage payments and there's no problem, the banks are now seeing that the commercial property is going backwards. So, let's say the property was worth 100 million and I lent you only 60 million. And most commercial properties were interest only and stuff because for the last 40 years, values have been going up. The banks are now calling the CRE clients and saying, hey, we need you to come in and make a $20 million payment principal payment to reduce the principal so our loan to value ratio goes down now which kind of organization has that kind of money just sitting around and budgeted for it so uh what's this space yeah. is getting funny and um this was just on the commercial commercial space so i read something on the weekend um where in canada now now i'm going into residential property because two weeks back we told you what was going to happen in the new zealand economy and this is happening already in Canada. So in Canada, what I, I, I again it's a banking term called amortizing. So when you take a home loan and you pay it off over 30 years, you're amortizing the loan over 30 years. Yeah. You're paying it down over 30 years. In Canada, they have negatively amortizing mortgages. What that means is the Canadian central bank has told some of their banks because interest rates have gone up, and I'm a customer. Let's say I was making $500 a week in mortgage payments when the interest rates were 3%. I still make $500 a week in mortgage payments, but because the interest rate is now 7 or 8%, the interest alone is $600. Forget the principle. So I'm not even paying the interest. You're not even paying the interest. So what yeah. the Canadian banks are doing is adding that 100 bucks on interest on top of the mortgage principle so your loan balances are going higher and higher as the property is going down in value sorry i'm smiling but this is getting ridiculous as i as i told people banks will protect their balance sheets it's extend and pretend and it is literally happening in canada where they so so you're not only not paying any principal off the interest payment is 600 but you're only paying 500 a week so the 100 extra interest is being added on your mortgage balance. So instead of a home loan coming down, it's actually going upwards. We're living in an upside-down world now, and it's ridiculous. And I read this. this was happening in Ota- Ottawa. I don't know how you pronounce it. Ottawa? Ottawa uh, yeah. 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 And this uh, press release was as of October 20th, 2023. Um, I'll just read this very quick. Uh, uh they, they, They're saying... Um, the the revised so they they're doing this because of the capital provisions of the banks who are letting this happen. So the revised CAR and guidelines establish capital requirements for lenders and mortgage insurers, respectively, that better align with the risk associated with growing mortgage balances due to increased interest rates. So they they're saying these changes will require institutions to hold more capital for mortgages where payments don't cover the interest portion of the loan. Right. Negatively amortizing mortgages. So all they've done is they've come out and said, Hey, banks, you need to hold more capital because your clients can't even pay their interest and you're adding it top of uh, you're adding it on top of the balance. Upside down world, mate. And yeah, they can't be
0: good for people's um, you know, um positivity and confidence. No, of course and not. And that's that, when you that walk happened.
1: away from it all, right? Now what did I say? They'll make it so hard, they'll make you so frustrated with it all. The bigger plan
0: that you'll say, just take it all. You'll own nothing. Yeah, though, the, here you can't do that necessarily, can you? Because you can't just hand back the keys. You're still liable for the debt, yeah, even it's after only in America handing back that, the
1: asset. It's only in America that you can do that. You can walk away from it all. Um, but when you walk away from it all, what are you doing? You're handing them the asset. And that is essentially what they want, right? As we said, Yeah, but at least you models. can
0: reset your life, right? And um, not have a whole lot of uh, baggage follow you, which could be like a millstone around your neck here. You've got that problem as well. So it's a double fail. really. Yeah. Isn't it?
1: They'll come after you even after that's written off. Again, it, it depends on the bank. Uh, but if it's a sizable amount or quite a significant portion of it, of course, they're going to come after you for money they did not have in the first place. It was just a journal entry on their balance
0: sheet. <laughs> yeah, well, it doesn't make sense if you, if you think about um, the way things normally are done, because I mean, what do I know? But in a free market, you you know, you you take the risk just like every everyone else, right? I mean, the risk for the mortgage taker is that they might not end up um, with a job that can pay enough to pay the mortgage, but they had it when they signed up, and likewise for the bank or institution lending the money, that um, you know, that they um, they need to, I guess. Um, uh, you know, follow a sort of a natural justice process of, okay, if the deal doesn't work out for them, that's their risk, and they have to take that. So it seems like um uh, one side of that equation takes on more risk, and that's the, the little guy in the end, right?
1: Yeah, and the system is designed that way, because the little guy is not financially astute or Uh, taught basic economics or finance at school. And that was our very first week or the second week. And I said, it's been done on purpose. We we go to school to learn how to earn money uh, through jobs, uh, so to speak, but we are not taught anything about money or how the system works and all of that. So this is it. Uh, In fact, part of what I'm trying to do with um, RCR and why I do these is obviously I don't get paid anything. It's me giving my time because I want to help back raise awareness, help people understand how the system works. And this is my giving back to society. Uh, in fact, a couple of weeks back, I did uh, do one of the smaller events where uh, they had invited me in Pukekoe last year, and I decided to go out there. And there was about 30 or 35 people in the room. And I tried to talk about some of the stuff. Um, but that's why I said next year, I'll do some of these road events. That's me giving back to the community, but also explaining how these work and People like it because one-on-one, they can ask me questions as well. Um, but this is it, mate. The whole point is the financial um, education piece is missing. And because this is the mother of all resets, so to speak, a large portion of the population is now going to wake up because it's an asset grab. And as I said, it's an asset strip from the middle class. And the middle class will suddenly start paying a lot more attention to what what is really happening and how all of this works.
0: Okay, let's get on to the effect of war on economies, because obviously the Ukraine war has been raging since, what, February 2022, that started off as a sort of military operation, has now morphed into what looks like a full-on war. And that's led to, um, I think, EU nations basically going into some kind of um, recession, at least Germany particularly, let's say and uh, the U.S. has been writing huge checks. They keep going into more and more debt every year. I think just in the last year it's uh, over $1.4 already. So now there's this conflict, Israel, Gaza, Hamas, um, Israel, and it looks like it could uh, draw in, many people are saying, other nations and become a far uh, bigger conflict. So what do you think that, what effect will that have First of all, globally, but as it trickles down to us, any thoughts? Um, yeah,
1: firstly, i just like to say, mate, uh, war is, it, it's just sad how these conflicts happen around the world, so I just like to, I don't want to take any sides at all, because none of oh, us same. understand how big this is, yep. or how many years back it goes back, but it just, it's just, it's unfortunate that these things happen. Um, But as I've also mentioned in the past, uh, connecting the dots, if you understand money and stuff, you can see some of these things, the way they're playing out. Well, one thing we
0: can say is that they do seem to, at the core of it, it does seem to be the United States all the time. And we know about their industrial military machine that kind of needs to be fed continuously and conflicts is what feeds them. So I think we can probably say that, can't we?
1: Well, in a way, yes, right? So as I said uh, previously, uh, they say there's a saying out there, all wars are bankers' wars. Um, If you understand the money complex, if I'm seeing this from a money perspective, um, the way I see it, and I'm not saying this is the reason why, this is just if you're seeing it from a money perspective, let's just say I'd said interest rates were going up, bonds were losing value. People weren't buying the US government bond because of inflation and negative yields on it. Um, So what happens if there's a war or some kind of uh, geopolitical event, people want to rush to safety, suddenly the interest rates go down and the bond value goes up. I'm not saying that is the reason, I'm not creating a conspiracy theory, but I'm saying if you know how to read the tea leaves, you can sometimes think why something happens or why something doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether that was came before the fact, after the fact doesn't matter. But when this escalated in the Gaza strip that's exactly what happened interest rates went down just as they were going crazy high past 5% in the US um they suddenly come down because everyone panics and goes oh, this could lead to a bigger war it could be a middle east war and it could it could still become one because people will be forced to take sides depends on how it escalates and stuff like that uh, That's what I do in the private capacity. As I said, I I do geopolitics and macroeconomics, because micro is when you just think about your certain sector or just about the New Zealand economy, but what you got to understand is macro is the bigger picture. Uh, The US dollar goes up, how it affects New Zealand, uh, Middle East war, how does that affect oil and gas, and that means essentially our inflation. Everything is interconnected. And yes, if this gets bigger, if it becomes a Middle East thing, I don't know who takes which side, but uh, as I said, um, when look back 80 or 100 years, when a government has to default on its debt, it's easy to blame it on a war. And we will, uh, based on what I hear some other very smart people around the world, um, we we are walking into World War Three. We are, and, and this is not funny, this is not no. funny. It's I'm not trying scary. to scare people, but not just the Middle East. Because if the Middle East, there's there's now stuff about Iran trying to take a side, which means then somebody else takes a side. Then Russia comes to back in Iran. And then China might back Russia and Iran. Uh, the BRICS countries, as we said, so it just it just kind of gets out of hand. Nobody wins, mate. It's uh, just loss of human lives and but it gives governments more reason to print more money, take on more debt because we have to go to war. So we need more money,
0: right? Uh, Also, it's the part of the world where a lot of the oil comes from, right? So it's, it's, it's drilled there. It's shipped out of there. And we are vulnerable, aren't we? We don't have a refinery anymore. We're not drilling for our own oil, for our own needs. So, and we're right. That's a long supply chain from there all the way to here. Um, we could find ourselves in a very difficult energy situation. Possibly, I'm thinking. Well, absolutely,
1: and and the energy is just the just the top of this, right? Um, so let's say because Iran and Russia could sh- shut off the street of Hormuz, through which about seventy eighty percent of the shipping of all of this goes off. So it's not even just what countries get involved in the war; they could just sh- shut off the shipping lines. Uh, and then there's no, but it's not just what I want people to start thinking is this is not just your, as I've said, energy runs the economy. The Indonesian government could print billions of dollars, but if there is no oil, you're not going to get any oil. Yeah, yeah, I had told people it's, and it's not just energy in the sense oil and gas, because that will lead to more inflation. Uh, but think about during COVID when the supply chain broke down, Okay. So it does not just mean that. If you need a part for your tractor or a car or something like that during a world war, ships and shipping lines are in distress. You're not going to get a part for your car to fix it because it ain't coming. There's no gonna. There's not going to be planes flying in the air and bringing you your courier the next week. So if you need certain things for certain survival things, and New Zealand is very far from everything. So New Zealand is at risk of that. But as I said, let's say it's a World War Three. you really don't care about those things. Life will get back to the normal stuff, which will be food, shelter, uh, community, hopefully, uh, because a lot of uh, people who have been blinded by this wealth and riches and all of that in a, in a world of cheap money will have to come back to the
0: basics. But we are
1: going to World War Three.
0: Um, I'm just thinking back to when I was a kid, that's 50 years ago, plus a bit. And we, we were kind of self-sufficient in a lot of ways. We, um, talk about car parts, et cetera. We had a, okay, I might not have been that efficient, but we had a whole car assembly industry where, you know, the inventory of parts and all that sort of stuff were, were, were far greater that, that, that was then, but also like I just mentioned with the energy, um, part of it we had our own oil wells we pumped our own oil and from about i think the early 70s we refined it and that included jet fuel as well we don't have any of that anymore boy does that look like bad decision making
1: absolutely and um yeah, wouldn't want to comment on that, but there might be some self-interest which might not want certain places to do some things. But... Well,
0: there'll be some people who will comment because I know that that's um, um, people are passionate about that. But to be a government, I'm not—not not that I want to bang on, but being a government and to let, for example, the refinery, a strategic asset like that, just sort of slip under the waves without anticipating any anything like we're talking about now—it's just negligence.
1: Yeah, but maybe there's a renaissance after the fact. So as I said, for the the, the financial system and the world we know is collapsing as it is, um, yes, there's going to be a lot of pain for the next seven, eight, nine years, but come out the other end, then obviously we turn this around and then we go, okay, New Zealand is self-sufficient. We can grow own food. We can, right. if you're saying there's oil and stuff like that. Um, but the whole point is we have to go through the pain because people will sleep at the wheel. And uh, when I was in, as I said, I did that presentation, Pukiko, I actually mentioned to people, I was telling people a lot of this stuff about six or eight years back, uh, even friends and colleagues in the banking world, and they all thought I was cuckoo, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's how it is. But I was giving it away for free and everyone th- thought I was silly. I just realized I know a lot. I can connect the dots. Uh, I know how the system works. Um, I'm going to start charging people for it. And now people actually reach out and they appreciate it. So um, it just it, it just happens that I could see something six or eight years before everyone else did, and now people are starting to wake up now. Um, but I'd still tell people, honestly, if you can see what's happening in the world, even with the Ukraine war, this Gaza Strip, um, don't wait. You don't buy fire insurance when your house is on fire. You buy insurance before the fact. Um, so if you can see the signs, and if you can see what's happening in the world, whether it's me or someone else, just get in touch. You'll sleep better because you've got
0: your plan. You've you've got it. Also, is of... it all about getting debt down now? Is that really the the? That big, would be the very first thing. That would lower be the your first debt thing. as far as you can t- deal to it. Absolutely. If you have no debt, the first thing you'll do is sleep
1: well at night. But again, <laughs> without going into any details on the radio station, yeah. there are other ways they will also try and asset strip from people. It's not just whether you think you paid off your house. Uh, we've talked about a few things, but I don't want to discuss that on the radio. But yeah, yeah. there are ways, they've planned everything, right? So they've planned certain ways. They'll take certain assets from different kinds of people. Uh, if you think you don't want to lose it all, uh, get in touch. But the world we live in, or we thought we lived in, when they say a new normal, it is a new normal. Um, we can see in the simple things, people not going to offices, spending habits are changing, everyone sitting at home, uh, interest rates are going up house prices coming down as i said interest rates will keep going up okay the 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 trend is up so start thinking about what this does for your share portfolio what this does for your property prices what this does for everything else um and yeah just plan
0: accordingly that vulnerability even if you're sort of way down on debt i'm thinking and i don't know too much about it but uh um, i know our local bodies are in high debt and that uh, that debt servicing bill is going up every week with interest rates rising i believe uh, down in dunedin they're paying about a million dollars a week in interest payments for close to or just over a billion dollars of of debt that they're carrying and they have under 20,000 ratepayers and they're not that well off if local bodies Get, I don't know, smothered under that mountain of debt. I suppose the, it's only the government who can bail them out, or do the creditors come looking for the assets belonging to the rate payers? Uh, I'll say the latter. Oh dear! So you I'll, could be leave it at that. You could be vulnerable, despite paying down the mortgage, doing everything. You pay down the mortgage, but you still have to pay
1: your rates. So the first thing is if Dunedin Council can't service its debt, the people who have given the debt to the Dunedin Council will say, hey, you need to increase your rates, right? When when you can't service your mortgage, what does the bank tell you? Either get a second job or yeah. you need to sell the property. Uh, so the first way out is always the debt servicing. So maybe they'll tell them you need to increase the rates, which is then conferred. The okay, so then there's the a council. rates
0: revolt. We can't afford it.
1: We can't afford it. The government takes your property. Well, okay. everyone knows this. Everyone knows this. Um, if your rates are increased, they can take your property. doesn't matter. If you owe the bank money or not, if you don't pay the rates, they can take your property. So people think they own their houses. And there's a lot of people in New Zealand who are feeling so great because they have three, four, five houses. Oh, no, no, but it's in a trust. Oh, no, no, but it's there. I don't care what it's in. You might just lose it. So when I talk about asset allocation and risk management strategy, you can't protect yourself from something you don't know, okay? So some people say, well, I I, I get some emails where people think uh, I have three or four houses, there's no debt. Okay, great, but all your wealth is in the one asset type. Yeah. Have you thought of this or have you thought of that? So there's blind spots that people can't see because they just don't know. They just don't know what is already there in place for the asset strip. Um, I've mentioned a couple of things. I've mentioned bonds. Okay. And I've mentioned derivatives. If somebody yeah. understands derivatives, just understand what is the collateral behind some of these where banks, and, and I've mentioned a third thing to you people on the radio without giving away too much. I said, look at securities. As in, even when we talked about bank deposits and we talk about an open bank resolution, maybe look into that. So I obviously have all these documents. I know what I'm talking about. And that's why I kind of do what I do, but obviously for my clients. But then I give them the documents so they can read through it, if they understand it. Some of them are really complex, so they don't get all of it, but they get the gist of it. Once you know what's coming, just get out of the bloody way and plan accordingly. But you can't prepare for something you don't know. How how will a council just take my property? Okay, don't believe me. Um, Wait and see how they will.
0: Wait three years. Well, they can go into your bank account and take the money. They can
1: do that. They could take the money. They could throw you out of your property. Uh, We saw this during the global financial crisis. There was a couple of movies out there where people could not pay their mortgages. And the sheriffs come in with the bank people. The sheriffs come and throw you literally out of your property. Um, People who haven't read books from the Great Depression, please go and read the book. So what happened? They let you live in your property, but you'll have to pay rent. Um, So what you thought was yours is suddenly not yours. Again, I think I've spoken too much on the radio, mate. uh, I'm not trying to scare people. I think most people were just unaware of how the system works and what's going on. You mentioned
0: derivatives, and I think we know that uh, a substantial uh, component of world debt is in derivatives by a long shot. And um, the, the security that backs those derivatives might be part of your mortgage without you even realizing it am yes. i right yes yes because it's been bought sliced diced bought and sold multiple times as part of a whole mix of stuff you don't even know you don't That's... even know you don't even know because let's say
1: i want to keep this light and refreshing but yeah, okay. you, you, Do you your put best. on a you put on a thread um let's say a bank has your property on their balance sheet and a bank is doing a derivative risk hedging with some other big bank, let's say an HSBC or a, a Goldman Sachs or something like that, because they bought a derivative position because they think interest rates are going to go some way. What did they use as security for that bet? And if the bet goes wrong, is your property on their balance sheet? I'll leave it at that. So during the global financial crisis, also, assets were, they, they used to call those um, MBS, mortgage backed securities. Uh, what were they? They were hypothecated and rehypothecated, and they were just sliced and diced into different portions and put into different asset types and sold off to bondholders and pension funds and insurance companies who thought they had the best slice. If you thought the global financial crisis was bad, mate, you've got a different thing coming. And I think a couple of weeks back, I just told people, between this October and next October, fireworks, watch it. What you thought the world was, is not. And literally after that interview, A week later, you saw this Gaza thing erupt. So as I said, people are going to see so much stuff coming. Nobody could have seen this one coming. But as I said, it's not the exact thing. It it doesn't matter what that thing, one thing is. If you know the general direction, you can prepare better. Because if you know what the pathway is to the next two or three years, bloody start preparing now and just plan and just get your portfolio in line.
0: So, yeah, I'll leave it at that, mate. I'll stop there. Okay, um, Farz, and if people want to get in touch, what is the best way to do that to get to you? Yeah, it's
1: successsimplified.life. Please reach out. And I'll say this again, mate. I don't, my services are not for everyone. Um, When I flick out an email, people, some people think it's uh, great and they just go, yep. And some people just go, oh, that's a bit, pricey. I'm not for everyone because I have to be careful of my time and it has to add value to you as well. Uh, but please reach out and I'll see if I can help you. I've also got in the last two weeks, I've got a couple of people who have reached out and who would like to create gatherings for people in their local area to talk about these kind of things. As I said, I'll try and do that next year. And I do geopolitics, macroeconomics. So the bigger picture, if you can see the bigger picture, the tiny stuff is then up to you based on your own personal situation, how you do right. it. But, of course, I go into your personal picture as well. But I don't give financial advice. It's called actionable intelligence. You have the intelligence. Now bloody takes action. And it's action your, it's your to choice your to life. action it or Exactly. Not. Take yeah. some action if you want to or not. I've given you yeah. the intelligence. Now act on it or not. Yeah. That's entirely your choice.
0: All right, Fars and Arani, great to catch up again. Let's do it all again in about a week's time. Yeah, let's do it, mate. Have a great day, everyone. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.